Happy summer, Digication community. We'd like to thank you for your loyal support of the first season of our podcast. Next week, Digication Scholars Conversations will begin a brief summer hiatus. We will return in the fall with brand new episodes featuring brilliant new guests, as well as a few favorites from past episodes. Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part one of my conversation with J. Elizabeth Clark, a professor of English at LaGuardia Community College. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Well, I am excited today in this episode of Digication Scholars Conversations to introduce Jay Elizabeth Clark. And I first got to know Liz as part of her role at LaGuardia Community College with ePortfolios. Um, she has lots of publications. I highly recommend people look into her in more detail after this conversation, but I am thrilled to have the opportunity to talk with you today, Liz. Hi, Kelly. It's so great to be here, and I'm really excited for our conversation. Yeah. So to kick things off today, uh, I wanted to talk about a few things uh, that I have discovered about you uh, a little more recently. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. They're all good things, I promise. Um, But through these conversations, I just love to learn kind of how people got to where they are today. And uh, you have a fascinating biography. And when I was exploring that, it just made so much sense uh, that that is all part of your journey in in what you're doing now as an educator and the writing that you do. Uh, the kid lit, I had no idea about. So I, I hope you'll touch on that at some point during our conversation as well. Um, but I wanted sure. to uh, share a couple of little uh tidbits uh, that I learned about you. First of all, I love the tagline that you have, that uh, stories that wonder and stories that matter. Um, And that beneath that, you say, I'm a writer, diver, tech spelunker, ocean advocate, travels by fins or ferry. And I, I just, I just love that. So First of all, I'd like to hear um, a little bit about your background in writing. It sounds like there was a lot of focus on poetry, and there likely still is today, and um, creative writing. And I would like to hear how that led you to teaching and led you to LaGuardia Community College specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think like many people, I've always been a writer. Um, I love to write. Before I could even put words on the page, I used to dictate stories to my mom and I would chase her around the house and 
until she would take a break from whatever she was doing and then write down my stories. Um, and so she has saved some of them as blackmail and they're pretty hilarious. Um, I love it. So, <laughs> yeah. They make periodic appearances in um, completely embarrassing family situations. Perfect. Um, and so, you know, I was lucky to be able to, my parents really supported that. And so I was lucky to be able to always be writing through, um, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. And then when I went to college, I was a creative writing major and my graduate degree uh, is in creative, is in creative writing. I did end up um, writing uh, a critical literary critical dissertation on the poetry of HIV and AIDS but even in that I had my own poetry interspersed as chapter breaks um, throughout the criticism that I was doing so yeah creative writing has been a a huge part of my life but I think sometimes more invisible in my scholarly life because once I got Mm -hmm. to LaGuardia um I was so immersed in technology and thinking about technology in our students that I really took on doing that kind of writing, uh, which is very different than obviously the creative writing that right. I had been doing before. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, always, I am always writing. <laughs> I'm always writing yeah, something. It seems that way. Yeah. You have quite the kind of list of things that you've published. And um, so how does the the uh, kid lit fit into that journey as well? Because that was something that I didn't know about you. Well, that's new. That is newer in the um, okay. about the last decade. Um, so that's not something that I studied in graduate school. In graduate school, um, well, actually undergraduate and graduate school, I studied poetry all the way through. But Um, After I moved to New York and when I was working on a lot of scholarly publishing, I just really felt called to start thinking about stories that were going to impact the next generation. And I didn't feel like that was something that I was doing in my poetry. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I and I really was very called to tell stories about the ocean. Um, and think about how, through fiction, I might think about ocean advocacy. Um, mm. The ocean is a huge part of my childhood, a huge part of um, how I grew up. Although I grew up in uh, landlocked Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, I was my, thinking, how yeah. did that work out? <laughs> uh, my dad grew up in Jersey. Um, and so okay. every time... Um, we needed a break, we would just pile in the car and drive to the beach for the day. So Sandy Hook, uh, New Jersey was the nearest Mm -hmm. ocean that we could get to in a day um, and do as kind of a day Mm -hmm. trip. And so we would just go to the ocean. We also spent a lot of time in Maine. Um, So I really was raised as an ocean kid um, and, and very much an all season ocean kid, not like going to the beach for the summer, but my parents' favorite time to go to the beach is when it is freezing cold. It is raining because no one else will be there. <laughs> so January yes. on the East Coast, so we can have the ocean to ourselves. Um, yeah. 
But, you know, obviously, uh, as we have all witnessed, I mean, climate change is having such a devastating effect on the ocean. And as a scuba diver, that is also something that I am seeing under the ocean. And I've done a lot Mm. of volunteering with different conservation programs and just really wanted to think about how to transfer that into writing for kids. Um, Mm -hmm. So in my creative writing, that's what I've been focused on um, for the last several years. Nice, nice. Yeah. And if if we had children that we wanted to um, share some of these publications with, what what should we look for? <laughs> um, so right now, I um, I have finished a novel, which I am trying to get an agent for. And I have a second Mm -hmm. novel um, that is, I have just completed a draft of, um, but those are not published yet. So the children's writing that I have, yeah, the children's (laughs) writing that I have published is nonfiction science um, and their articles, um, particularly in spigot science. Okay, great. We might share that as a resource, and it's wonderful that you're doing that. Um, It's so important to get that understanding early, and I think through your experience, you know, spending so much time at the ocean, it made a lot of sense for you. There's so many children that maybe have never even seen it, so having the opportunity to feel like they're a part of it through these stories and through the the nonfiction too, I think will be enormous. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. I also, um, volunteer at the New York aquarium. I'm on the dive team there and I, uh, on the dive team, I work as an educator for the dive team. So we're always thinking about how to talk with particularly kids because the aquarium is such a huge draw for, um, kids and families about the ocean. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're always talking about is that New York city is an island you know, we're, we're right. really an island. Um, and we don't live like we're on an island, but we are on an island. Um, so we, we like to talk with kids a lot about that. Like, did you know that you lived on an island? And what is that like? And, um, you know, what does that mean for how we, we live together in New York City? Mm-hmm. That's so great. Yeah, I just learned recently, uh, my cousin's husband is a surfer, and he surfs right off of the um, the island. And um, I had no idea that that was even possible, even spending 15 years of my life in the New England area. So um, that that's fabulous. And I don't know if you've ever gotten into surfing, or if you prefer to be under the water, but I... I think it's remarkable. I prefer to be under the water, but yeah, there's a very avid surfing community here for sure. Fun. Um, so Liz, how did you find your way to LaGuardia Community College? And I, I wonder if you might also share as a beginning teacher, what some of those early days were like for you? Yeah, so those early days um, were a straight lead into ePortfolio. Um, so I did my graduate work at uh, Binghamton University. I did both my MA mm-hmm. and my PhD at Binghamton. And um, when I was at Binghamton, I was really lucky to work in um, the Binghamton Enrichment Program. Um, which was a summer bridge program for students coming into the university. And that's really where I learned how to be a teacher. They had a phenomenal um, 
teacher training program that was run by uh, Steve Duarte and a bunch of other folks who worked in the EOP program. And so when I went to Binghamton, I did not go to Binghamton thinking about teaching. I went to Binghamton as a poet. And Mm -hmm. my mom is a faculty member, uh, now retired from Penn State. And I remember that she read my application to be a teaching assistant. And she she told me, my mom is my probably one of my biggest fans but when I really need to hear something you know she will tell me so she uh, this is not yep so it's not something I've heard a lot in my life from her but she said this is really terrible I like you can't submit this and and I said what are you talking about like it's an essay and you know I wrote this she said at no time in this essay do you talk about your love of teaching like I wouldn't hire you to teach you're just talking about being a poet um, and in fact, I did not get a teaching assistantship my first year at Binghamton. Um, and I think I was just totally focused on going to learn poetry and, you know, what I was mm-hmm. going to do with my craft. And that's that's where I was at. But once I started working in the BEP program, um, we part of our training, we were reading pedagogy. We were talking about teaching for social change. We were talking about inequity and how the classroom could become a place to really challenge that. And I fell in love with um, the idea of social justice and as it, teaching as a form of social justice um, mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. about how radical that space could be. So mm-hmm. Once I finished my PhD, I knew that I really wanted to be at an institution that valued teaching um, and where teaching was a priority. Um, So I applied to LaGuardia and I had my interview and um, I was offered the job. And so I packed everything up and moved to New York City. And um, it was daunting, you know, I mean, moving from small town Pennsylvania to small town New York to New York City but my whole entire life I had always loved New York and I had always told everyone that I was going to move to New York City so you know arriving in New York City was a big deal but it was also you know it was really challenging um, just learning how to live there um, and Mm -hmm. how to acclimate to being in the city and going to LaGuardia was a big change. The English program at Binghamton, although Binghamton is a pretty big school, uh, the English program itself is pretty small. So we all knew each other. We knew all the faculty. Um, mm-hmm. And LaGuardia is a big place. Uh, there's a lot of students, yeah. um, a lot of moving parts. I mean, now that I've been at LaGuardia, you know, for many years, you know, we talk about the seven train as really being a wonderful metaphor for LaGuardia because the seven train runs right through the middle of Queens. It's an elevated train. Mm-hmm. People always think about the subway as being under, um, under the city, but we have a number of elevated lines. And so when you ride the seven train, you really can see all of Queens out the window. Um, but one of the first stops is LaGuardia. Um, and so you get off the seven train and here it's just this entrance to this amazing multicultural immigrant, multi-generational community. Um, but finding a place there in the classroom and how finding how to be useful as a teacher definitely took me some time um, to find yeah. my to find my voice as a teacher, to find how I could be useful to my students. But um, 
when I arrived at LaGuardia, <laughs> we had a bunch of computer labs and many people did not teach in the labs. So LaGuardia had invested in computer labs as a resource for our students, um, as was true when I started at LaGuardia and is still true today. Many of our students um, up until the pandemic did not have a lot of technology at home. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So we have up until right before the pandemic, a traditional computer labs where students would come and do work. Um, but they were also spaces that people needed to teach in. And my department chair put me in the computer lab and said to me, well, you just graduated from, you know, from your graduate program. You must know what to do with computers so you can teach in the lab. <laughs> and in fact, I had no idea what to do with the computers. I mean, I knew how to write on a computer. I had written my dissertation on a computer, but I did not know how to teach in a lab. Um, so yeah. immediately I was like, all right, this is, this is a thing. And so I really started focusing on thinking about what pedagogy looked like teaching in a lab, teaching with technology, um, what strengths our students had with technology, but also where we could really augment um, their learning through technology. And mm -hmm. so then that really became, you know, one of the primary things that I focused on at LaGuardia is thinking about how to be a thoughtful pedagogue in a digital space with our students. Mm, beautiful. So what were some of the first things that you remember kind of trying out? And <laughs> how to teach Microsoft Word. <laughs> and then how did that kind of shift? You know, I'm just imagining. So what year was it when you were like literally thrown into the deep end in that in that lab? It was Good 2000. Good thing you had experience scuba diving. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> 2000. Yeah, so in, okay. uh, I arrived at LaGuardia in 2000. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, in the very beginning, it was like helping students learn how to open Microsoft and how to format yeah. a document in Microsoft. I mean, it was not exciting stuff, but there were it was definitely things that in order to be competitive um, mm -hmm. in the business world, students needed to know. And yeah. Um, one of the things that that evolved into for me over time was really thinking about how I could model technology from the perspective of writing, right? So I'm not a technology mm -hmm. professor. Um, I didn't right. study technology. I studied writing, but I use technology all the time uh, in my professional life. So really thinking about how you model the professional uses yes. of technology in your discipline. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I'm getting goosebumps because we actually started teaching at about the same time, Liz. And, um, but I, instead, I was not teaching in a writing program. I was teaching in an education program. And I had been brought in to teach the students how to use technology as a teacher. So we were exploring ways that they're students could use it within the classroom, but also how they were going to be using it as a teaching tool and also modeling that for my students as I was teaching them. So that's one of the kind of experiences that led to the creation of Digication um, because we wanted there to be this space where students could create and publish and share and get feedback and um, and you know really have this kind of living 
piece of themselves that they could keep expanding on. So um, it, it's fun to hear about that that part of your story because uh, it was around 2000. I was also teaching some students how to use PowerPoint. So yeah, Word and PowerPoint. Oh, yeah, yeah. And- <laughs> Yep. Oh my yep. goodness. How to check their email. And, <laughs> How to yeah. log into email. Although I'm still doing that. Yeah. So I don't seem to have I don't seem to have conquered that because that's still a regular part of what I'm teaching. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I was really pushing some things there because I was also trying to teach them how to create their own e-portfolio websites, but we were using, you know, Flash and HTML and they were like, Kelly, no, no, this is too much. So it's like, okay, well, let me build you something that can be a little easier. Um, And here we are. So, um, and here we are. And here we are. So Liz, um, I wanted to hear a little bit about, so you mentioned when you joined LaGuardia, ePortfolio was almost immediately kind of part of the work that you were doing there. Um, Were you kind of on the ground starting it? Was there already a small team that was doing things? Tell me about how that um, kind of became a big part of what you were doing there. Yeah, so um, before I arrived at LaGuardia, I think a year or two before, um, I'm not entirely positive on the dates, so don't quote me on the dates, Mm -hmm. but um, CUNY had moved to Blackboard. Um, so mm-hmm. this idea of using a course management system um, was very new at LaGuardia. And LaGuardia developed an amazing professional development program called Designed for Learning. And so this is really where I first experienced professional development as a faculty member and I think learned how to do professional development also. Um, it was it was a really important time for me. And the Design for Learning space was pretty amazing. We came together once a month for an entire year, and we learned how to um, change our our face-to-face teaching um, for on some hybrid online learning spaces and how to use learning management systems. And it was a playful space. It wasn't a punitive space. It wasn't a, it, it was really an invitation to play with the technology and to figure out how the technology would fit into our pedagogy um, and to, mm-hmm. to figure out how to uh, marry those two together in a really creative and useful way. Um, so out of Designed for Learning, um, which had been running the year before I started and then became a program mm-hmm. that run for, ran for several years um, at LaGuardia, um, in 2001, our then um, dean, Paul Arcario, had the idea for ePortfolios. And he did a lot of the the initial writing around ePortfolios. And he and Brett Einan, um, who then mm-hmm. was our uh, director for teaching and learning at the time, uh, mm-hmm. put together a research team to, to explore what portfolios would mean at LaGuardia. And it was a true research team. We were given six months to research. So they chose uh, and invited faculty who had been through Design for Learning. 
Um, so I was one of the six faculty members who was asked uh, to participate in the research team. The research team was led by Maureen Doyle and James Richardson, uh, my colleagues at uh, LaGuardia. And we, at the time, there were, I think, 44 colleges and universities in the country who were using uh, some form of digital portfolios. And we mm -hmm. created a research protocol and we interviewed all of them. We called them uh, or we conducted email interviews um, to learn what portfolios looked like on their campus. Um, some members of our research team also did a site visit. They did uh, site visits mm -hmm. to Kalamazoo and one other school. I don't remember which one. Um, to see what it looked like in, um, in person. And then the whole team, we went out to Portland State uh, where we met mm -hmm. uh, Terry Rhodes, who at the time was uh, was there. And uh, yes. yeah, yeah. So we really, when we got to Portland State and we saw how they were using portfolios, that felt like home to us. We were like, oh, yeah. we understand these students. We understand what's happening here. This is this is the kind of thing that we want to build. Um, mm -hmm. And so Portland very much became our mentors um, mm -hmm. in learning how to create portfolios. Um, so yeah, so research teams. So we did um, research, then we wrote a white paper, then we created a pilot, um, and then we started to build from there. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that story and the, the history there and uh, how wonderful you were able to connect with with Terry Rhodes at that time. And yeah. I can just imagine him being equally excited about the group that you had there and what you were researching and uh, some of your initial plans. Um, yeah. And also Judy Patton was also, I mean, such a huge yes. mentor to us um, at the time in the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so you went back to your campus, you know, with all of this new information, and you've got your white paper in hand, and you're starting to pilot. Um, at that time, how would you kind of define what you know for LaGuardia? Why ePortfolios were going to be important to your community? What did it, what did it mean to the school at that time? Yeah. So I'm going to back up just for one second, because we also had one other um, important step. We had invited uh, Kathleen, Kathleen Blake Yancey to come to campus mm -hmm. to advise us on uh, creating portfolios. And I will never forget that when we were meeting with her in one of our initial um, conversations, we had already been to Portland and came back. And she said, well, you know, portfolios can do lots of different things. It can, you know, do this and this and this. And we said, yes, we'd like to do all of that, please. And she was like, no, 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 no. Oh, not all of it like let's pick one or two things and we we're like no yes please we would like we would like to do all of those things that sounds amazing and she was and um so there was this moment when she was like I, I don't know that it will be amazing if you try to do all of those things um, let's focus um but I think for us, and I do think the year here is important and the time is important because Facebook mm -hmm. did not really exist yet um, in right. a space that we were in or that our students were in. So yeah. initially, I think that portfolios were really um, on campus filling an important 
important space. And that was a space where we could get to know our students outside the classroom. Um, And that's something that we talked a lot about early on. Um, At the time, and there have been lots of changes in CUNY, uh, but at the time, particularly for our developmental students, there were a number of high stakes tests. There was also a rising junior exam uh, that CUNY students took. And I think there was for many of our students, a feeling of being a number or a test. Um, You know, we have a large number of students in our classes. Uh, We teach um, a large number of sections each semester. And so I think portfolios, we really felt that that was a way to get to know who our students were and to offer our students a space to think about what they were learning and begin to make those integrative connections between courses. So early on, um, it was also a space where students were sharing what they were doing in the classroom with family who didn't live in the area. Um, So it was very common for our students who had family who were living um, outside of the country to use their portfolios to share with their family what they were learning. Um, And that was a pretty amazing experience, you know, as students were sharing that uh, and getting, you know, getting feedback from friends and family afar. Yeah, I just can imagine what a motivating factor that was to have their families and friends from wherever they had come from before they got there, being able to witness all of the things that they were doing. And uh, I often find with students, um, you know, with the day, they get very focused on the day to day and getting things done and getting to all of the classes that, that sometimes it is that kind of moment where they get to share it with someone else that they internalize the value of what they're doing as well, because they can kind of, yeah, they can get that, that presentation feedback. quality. Yeah. 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 I also think um, early on for a lot of students, it was also a funky space to think about what we now know as multimodal, right? This idea that right. you didn't just have to show what you were doing in class in written form. Um, so there was mm-hmm. a lot of really early experimentation with that that was super cool. Um, now mm-hmm. we wouldn't think of that as unusual or extraordinary, but at the time that was a very much, the idea of visual rhetoric was very much emerging in the portfolios in a new way. Right, right. Um, and so from your perspective as someone that was teaching writing, how did that shift in in your classrooms um, in kind of using, because that was so new, how did you help students kind of take that next step? I think there were early on two things that I really focused on. The first was really thinking about how they could hyperlink their research and make their research mm-hmm. visible. So it wasn't just citing a source, but now I right. could actually look at that source in real time. Um, and I think that changed a lot of our conversations about, um, you know, about source material and why you quote source material and kind of making source material real and living um, that was different. Also, definitely the visual. Um, I'm a very visual person. I'm a visual learner. So really helping students think about the place of the visual in writing um, was mm-hmm. important. And the portfolio is just such a great, it's just such a wonderful space for that even today, um, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to 
match or merge image and text. Um, and I, I love when that happens. And so I was doing a lot when students were doing research papers of having them bring in um, images that were important to the research that they were doing or whatever they were writing about and yeah. thinking about visual artifacts. Um, and I had a, I, I was thinking about, you know, when you were starting to form that, um, and there was also an article of yours that I've shared for many years that's about process. And um, I was interested in you sharing from from your perspective, how the process is such an important part of um, cre creating, whether you're creating with words or creating with words and imagery, or if you're creating by creating <laughs> any portfolio, uh, creating poetry, you know, how does that process, um, you know, what, what is that process all about? Because I think very often in um, some conversations that we have regarding e-portfolios, there's sometimes this kind of thinking that uh, it's just going to be that showcase, right? Or it's just going to be that right. final artifact that's going to be assessed. So e even though we've been kind of moving things forward, there's still a lot of that kind of history with e-portfolios that it often takes some coaching or examples or things to get people to see the, you know, I think what Kathleen Yancey was getting in that early meeting, that there's so many different ways that um, it can be utilized and um, how that process can kind of come into play. So I would love for you to share kind of your thoughts about process and and how you might be um, kind of leading your students through that or, or sharing the value of that with them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a real constant in my teaching and has been all the way through. So although the ways that we share process are different in the digital, in a more digital arena, um, the idea is not. And that is mm -hmm. that I really value leading students through stages of writing and mm -hmm. uh, leading them through the idea that writing is infinitely malleable. Um, so there's no such thing as the finished product. There is the thing, when am I ready to be done working on it? Because I've gotten it yeah. as far as I'm going to get it now. Um, but, you know, I will talk to with students about my own writing process, which is sometimes super fast and sometimes really excruciating when I'm doing draft after draft after draft. Um, so for me, the portfolio is just such a wonderful space to capture that process from your initial um, brainstorming or however it is that you're getting into the imagination process of whatever you're going to write, you know, so if it's mind yeah. mapping or it's listing and then seeing how a piece of writing evolves from that into a draft and then how you get feedback and that feedback allows you to write a better draft and a better draft and a better draft. And I love the ways that the portfolio pushes students to really think about 
continuing to move a piece of writing um, from one mm-hmm. stage to another. So when you talk about this with your students and, um, you know, that the writing is never finished, do you, do you get some curious glances, you know, like, well, we got to hand it in. So what does that really mean? Yeah. I mean, that always leads to really interesting conversations, but conversations like, well, five years from now, if I am, you know, researching climate change and I want to go back and use pieces of this, um, you know, this essay that I wrote in your class, could I do that? Yeah, it's your writing. And you might want to go back and take some of those ideas and, you know, recast them and recapture them. And, you know, that is definitely part of the writing process. Lately, I don't know if I'll stick with this, but lately I've been talking with my students a lot about library of ideas, right? And so that mm. you're you're constantly capturing these library of ideas and maybe it just doesn't catch right now and it's not the thing that you want to continue working on. But later, you might want to come back to it. Um, So how do you create your own library of ideas that you can come back to when you're ready to actually do the project in the way that you envision it? Um, You know, the way that you want, want to see it finished. Yeah. And I'm imagining hearing you speak about it, that this might be something that you use in your own writing process. Is that, is that true? I can imagine the the library of ideas that you've got stored up. Um, yeah, I have a pretty active library of ideas or I'll write a first draft of something and then walk away from it and then come back to it like years later, because then it's the time. It wasn't the time, you know, it was the time to capture the ideas, but not necessarily the time to execute it, um, you know, at that moment. And so I love talking with students about that space. This concludes part one of our conversation with J. Elizabeth Clark from LaGuardia Community College. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Amanda Driscoll. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for watching.